Still in Norway, obviously. Still cold, or are we outside now? Jeez. <laughs> minus 15. Minus 15 outside. So, um, yeah, a little bit different to back home. I've got about two more days. Then we'll get on the plane, go home to Australia, and uh, hopefully lap up some of that 30 degree sunshine. Now, if you remember, before I left Australia, my aircon wasn't working. Um, I'm going back. <laughs> my aircon's still not working. So, yeah, it's going to be a big change from minus 16. Hopefully, Thursday. Thursday's the aircon fix day. So, by the time I get to do this video, crossing time zones here, a week from now, <laughs> hopefully, be cool again. All right. So, where do we start? Let's start with a sponsor. Ben. <laughs> ben says it's like 2 a.m. I'm sure it's 2 a.m. somewhere. It's, uh, it's beer o'clock here in Oslo because mm, it's 4 o'clock. It's 4 o'clock on a Friday, Arvo. Um, the beer, for those wondering. It's really like my favorite Norwegian go-to. Now, I only know it as a juicy IPA, and I asked Shayla, I said, what's, what's the brewery? <laughs> what's the name of it? Can you read the Norwegian? And she said something that sounded like something I'm probably not meant to say on this channel without warnings or something like that. Uh, but juicy IPA. That's the go-to. Brendan, yeah, it must be early, late for you, mate. Uh, I told myself I'd be asleep now for a 12 p.m. to 8 a.m. shift later today. Here I am. Here you are. Very, very different time zone. Yeah, 2 a.m. Dude, jeez. Oh, well. <laughs> At least it's something, right? Something interesting. Let's do sponsor. Sponsor is a familiar one this week. It is Report Your Right. Now, I have a very, very long, close affinity to Report Your Right. I'm not even going to read the sponsor bar. I'll do that in a moment. So Report Your Right is the project that Scott Helm started. You may remember him from previous weekly updates, such as Paris and Rome. I don't know where we were. Anyway, you know the guy. Started Report Your Right. Uh, I invested in the Report Your Right many years ago now. In fact, we were sitting in a bar here in Oslo drinking beers, and, and, which is where many good ideas come from. <laughs> and he said, this must have been 2016, 2017, I don't know, ages ago. Uh, and he really, really wanted to go and build Report Your Right uh, and get out of his corporate rat run. Uh, and I thought it was a really good idea. So yeah, that's anyway, that's what ended up happening. So Report Your Right, I thought was a, a, just a really great idea. Uh, and it remains a great idea today. And I'm happy to have Report Your Eye as a sponsor uh, for this week. And you're going to see Report Your Eye on many other weeks as well. Again, before reading the sponsor bar, the whole premise of Report Your Eye is it does a whole bunch of things related to browser security heading reporting, most notably content security policies. And this is something that both Scott and I have taught in our workshops time and time and time again. Uh, you have this native construct within your browser such that you can control it to say, look, you're only allowed to load JavaScript from these places and CSS from here and fonts from there and frame these things and be framed by those things. And it just makes a massive difference to everything from cross-site scripting attacks through to all the sorts of mage card attacks that we've seen for years and years, where some enterprising young hacker manages to get their JavaScript on your website because they've done something like compromised a chatbot or taken over an external resource that your machine has been dependent on, your website has been dependent on. Uh, and if they say in Fetch, go on Google Ticketmaster and British Airways. <laughs> like these things happen time and time again. And it's made me think, Capelli Sport, we mentioned them last week, where Scott controls the JavaScript on their site. But mind you, he controls the domain loading the JavaScript so that 
Anyway, they've got a different set of problems. Sponsor bar for this week's Report URI. Getting you from rogue JavaScript. Ah, uh, let's start the whole thing again. Two sips of beer in. Report URI, guarding you from rogue JavaScript. Don't get pwned. Get real-time alerts and prevent breaches. Hashtag secure your site. So uh, please go and check out Report URI. It is just a super cool, super simple concept. Uh, and I'm really glad to have them up there today. Oh, I'll see you in the comments. Ben, look, the only thing I have on tomorrow, today is a coffee tasting, so I'm not particularly worried. Very good. Nick007, how's the weather, Troy? Bloody freezing in London. Oh, funny you ask about the weather. Um, we know it's meant to be snowy here, right, like this time of year. And I did just mention minus 15 on the clock at the moment. Uh, since I did this video the other day, we, we have had a lot of snow. Oh. We... We started out by going and having a night at uh, at Charlotte's childhood home, and she really, she really, Elle, our eleven-year-old daughter, who is in the thumbnail for this video, simply because I was about to take the photo and she was cleaning up around here, and I was like, "Hey, come here, this will be cool." <laughs> so, Elle really wanted to build a snow cave, uh, which is what Charlotte used to do as a little girl in in her family home. So they went and built a snow cave, and there's heaps of snow around here at the moment, particularly on the sides of the road. Now, if you're not from a snowy part of the world like me, and you've not been able to travel here, uh, this might seem weird, but the snow plows and stuff go through, they blow all the snow over the road, you end up with big piles. So anyway, they've made a, uh, a snow cave, which, which Al was very happy about, Charlotte was very happy about, and my, my lasting memory from her building that snow cave was calling me out in the minus 15 or whatever it was, uh, and asking me to fill up her sippy cup from a goon bag of wine. <laughs> I was on the kitchen bench. <laughs> I won't post the video because it's personal, but it was a uh, happy memory. So it was a lot of snow there, which was great. Kids just enjoy like smashing through the snow. I know that if you probably live in this day in and day out, you're sick to death of it. But for living in a beachy place like we do, like having snow around, it's just super, super cool and fun. Uh, so that was good. And that was Monday, Tuesday. And then two days ago, Wednesday, uh, Oslo had a, a, a pretty decent snowstorm. And I just remember we got up, when was it? Must have been, yeah, it must have been two days ago, Wednesday morning. And we're looking out the window and I'm like, gee, a lot of that snow's going sideways. <laughs> and we're looking down here on the road and there's all these cars just like totally like boxed in. It's like, you're going nowhere, mate. Like you're not going anywhere from that park. Uh, and it was just very full on snow to the point where they cancelled a lot of the trains. Uh, we had no American coming to visit us that day. They cancelled a bunch of his flights, so he got in real late. They cancelled like the airport train. Uh, a lot of stuff just stopped. And even yesterday, still, like 24 hours after, a lot of stuff still closed. So there has been a lot of snow here, which uh, for us has been entertaining. For the locals, maybe not so much. Trady Trev says it's 1 a.m. Why the hell am I still up here? Yeah, I know, that's a good, good question, right? I do like to mix up the times. Joel, uh, heat wave here on the Gold Coast. I did check, I got the impression it was all around 30, 31, which, is that heat wave? Or is it just because there's multiple days in a row? Uh, all right, so, this was a big week. Uh, not just because we we're out building snow caves with <laughs> sippy cups of wine and all that sort of stuff. This uh, NAS API data, let's talk about this because this was, I often, 
talk about what I do insofar as I don't have a lot of a plan, right? Like I, I, I literally, I get up each day, I get my iPad and I sit somewhere like this and I have a coffee instead of a beer and put the fireplace on and I literally just read through my messages and it's like, okay, well, how weird has shit gotten overnight? And that's pretty much like my day-to-day thing. There are events and things planned, granted, there are some features and things I'm working on, but for the most part, it's very, very reactive. So Tuesday morning, I get up post snow cave uh, and I actually had two messages about totally different incidents on Tuesday. Now, one of them I'm not going to talk about yet. I am going to talk about next week. That's going to be a next week thing, but that's really significant too. The this week one was what I've referred to as a major tech company. And, And the only reason I'm referring to them that way is because I did say to them, look, are you okay if I name you? Uh, and they went, look, we have to run it through all the PR people. And I was like, okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a major tech firm. You know who they are. Major tech firm popped up and said, look, someone for or our bug bounty program submitted uh, a list referred to as NAS.API. And this list had appeared on a popular hacking forum. And it had also come from other places before then. And I'm usually pretty suspicious every time I see a credential stuffing list these days, mostly because it's a bunch of repurposed crap that we've seen over and over and over again. Now, in 2019, in January, which was a very stressful time in my life, someone sent me over this Collection One data, and that was still, I think, still the largest breach going to have been part. It was like 780 million unique email addresses, including mine. And... You know, that went into have been pwned because it had a large corpus of unique data, uh, a lot of stuff I hadn't seen before, very impactful, and then got all that in there. Hugely stressful experience because so many people then wanted support and engagement and discussion about it. So many news outlets wanted interviews. It was just stupidly nuts. And then people popped up and went, yeah, but then here's collection two and three and four. And I was just like, come on, it's just, it's, it's getting stupid. I'm not going to go through and just keep loading endless sets of credential stuffing data. Different to a discrete breach where Acme Core has had a breach and here is their data and that is, a, is an independent significant incident. So I wrote a blog post about not doing that. And time and time again, over that last five years now, people have sent me data, uh, which is a credential stuffing list, which hasn't been particularly neat, unique, hasn't been particularly impactful, a lot of repurposed stuff, just had nothing that was significant about it. The NAS API stuff, that the first thing I found significant about it was the fact that this particular organization sent it to me. Uh, and they're, they're a company that I have a great deal of respect and trust for. And if they thought it was that serious, well, you know, this deserves looking into. When I started drilling into it, it, it was sort of interesting in that it was comprised of two things. Uh, and this is really, really important. And I did put this in the blog post. Now, I've had well over 100 comments on this blog post as well. I put it in the blog post. I explained it really clearly. People don't read it and they go through the comments and rant rave. So <laughs> two different types of data in here. One is what is clearly from what we'd refer to as a stealer log. So stealer software, malicious software, which grabs credential pairs as they're entered into a website. And you effectively end up with three fields. Website URL, Username, which may be either a plain string or an email address, password. And those three things are what the stealers capture and put in the log, hence stealer logs. There's a significant number of records in there. There is also your classic credential stuffing stuff, email address, password pair. The context, the website it came from, not clear. 
just the two of them together. Now, I knew people would lose their proverbial over this, which is why I made it really, really clear in the description of the incident that there are the two things. We don't always know where they come from. It might be something new that you're not aware of, but it might also be something old. My email address is in there with a plain text password. It's exactly the same as what appeared in that credential one stuffing list. Credential one, well, as a collection one, <laughs> collection one credential stuffing list five years ago. So clearly there's a bunch of old stuff in there, but there is some new stuff too. Now, in order to quantify the amount of new stuff, it's pretty much two thirds of email addresses are already in there. So what's more particular or more specific about that is that one third of the email addresses in this 71 million record corpus have not been in Have I Been Pwned before. That's really significant. So most times I see a data breach of a discrete website. This is going to be Acme Core, right? Actually, I just saw someone post a message here and I don't know the answer to it, but let's use that as an example. Uh, where was it? Someone said here, the networking guy, got any info on the Vans data breach? So no, haven't heard of it before. Do you mean Vans shoes? But let's say hypothetically it is Vans. Vans has been breached, 10 million people in there. If I put it in Have I Been Pwned, usually somewhere between say 5 million and 7 million have been there before, 50 to 70%. So when I see something in that range, I know it's a new corpus of data. The reason there's 50 to 70% of people already in there is because people who buy Vans shoes also get stuff from Adobe or are Ashley Madison aficionados. Ooh, okay, yes, Vans shoes, 35 million. Well, I labeled that, didn't I? It's gonna be a busy year, isn't it? Shit. Uh, so, the networking guy, first I've heard, if you have a link that is publicly shareable, such as a news story, drop it in the comments. If you've got something that probably shouldn't be publicly shareable in the comments, please send me a DM via Twitter, X, or go to the contact uh, link on my website. But I would be really, really interested in seeing that because that's, that's obviously major. Is it a classic breach or is it ransomware? Still major. So, data goes in a have I been pwned. Now, I'm conscious that the thing that comes up a lot from any breach which is not directly attributable to a source is people say, where's it from? Uh, credential stuffing lists, spam lists, uh, various other sources of malware. People are like, where did it come from? Now, keeping in mind that this is like a two-part thing. I'm distracted now because I'm really interested in this Vans thing. I've got your signal uh, if I need direct contact. Joseph Prusser introduced. Ah, okay, all right, cool. I was just thinking about Joseph today. Different topic, but yeah, okay, you got my signal. Please drop it in there. I'd really love to hear about that. All right, so keep in mind, again, I said they're two different things. Uh, what that means, and, and I don't know the exact split because I didn't do the numbers, but let's say half the data was sealer logs and half the data was credential stuffing. That means for half the data, I would be able to say, this is the URL that your things appear against. We do not have a construct and have I been pwned to store additional data beyond the email address and the association to the breach. Most of the time, it's completely pointless because let's say it's Vans, right? Sorry, Vans, if you're actually innocent in all this, but I'm just really interested now. Let's say it's Vans and I load the Vans data breach next week. It'll be like, okay, everyone gets a notification. Your email address has appeared in the Vans data breach. No one has to ask the question, was it Vans or not? And if they're worried about what data was actually exposed, they can go to Vans and say, hey, I was in this data breach, what's my data? 
you can't do that with this incident. So the queries I got a lot of was, what's the website? And also, what was the password? And I've heard this over and over and over and over again, not just for websites that are not attributable to a direct source, but for all sorts of breaches, where people are like, can you show me the password? Now, I always find it a bit weird when people ask that for the Vans data breach, because like, well, it's the password that you gave. Like, why are you asking me? So you chose the password, you gave it to Vans. I understand the desire, but the problem is, the only way I could do that is I would have to have all of these passwords, not hashed, but in plain text or encrypted, and then we can have a discussion about how we do that and how we protect the key. But for all instance purposes, in plain text and retrievable by the individual. And how shit's that, right? Like how bad is that to go, I'm gonna have in this case, a lot more than 71 million passwords, and we'll get to that problem in just a moment. And they're gonna sit there in the website in plain text, and someone who controls that email address will be able to go back and pull the plain text password back. That's majorly, majorly problematic, and I'm just never gonna do that. So, I'm not gonna put in other metadata about the incident because most of the time it'd be completely useless, massively increases the processing overhead because I can't just regex out email addresses. Uh, it's just, it, it is a nightmare for all sorts of reasons. The passwords, all sorts of risk for individuals. Plus imagine, have I been pwned gets pwned? Ironic, I know, <laughs> but have I been pwned gets pwned and then someone gets all the email address and password pairs, how about that? Now, the other problem is, these logs had over 1 billion instances of a password, and I'll tell you how I know in a moment, but only 71 million unique email addresses. So what does that tell you? Actually, it tells you two things. Number one, it's probably the obvious one, is there are multiple occurrences of the same email address appearing, but with a different password. So if it was going to have a vampire, we would have to have a one-to-many sort of relationship construct there where one email address could then say, well, you had these different passwords against it. And then because people reuse their passwords all over the place, it would also have to include the website that it was breached in just to make it clear to everyone that yes, you know, like fluffy89 or whatever it is, is the password that was used both on like WebEx and this racing website and then some other random streaming site. There are three examples I gave from the incident. So that's a mess. The other thing is, is that a bunch of the usernames were not email addresses. They were user-definable strings without an at symbol. Now what we did, we, not being the royal we, but we, Stefan uh, and I as well, Chief Password Wrangler Stefan from, uh, from Iceland, who was here just last week. <laughs> Stefan went through, he pulled out all of the passwords, he got the prevalence counts and he put them all in pwned passwords. Now this is a solution to the question that everyone kept asking. It's like, how do I know which website it was? How do I know which password it was? Here's the solution. Email address is a no-brainer. G'day, Scott. <laughs> email you missed the report, you're right, plug. You can watch it back later. Email address is a no-brainer. That goes in, it's searchable from the box on the front page. Password has gone in completely disassociated from email addresses. So Pwn Passwords remains a totally non-connected resource that has just passwords. It's queried by anonymity. If it sounds weird, Google it, you'll work it out. So you've got these two things. Now anyone can go and run an email address, or password rather, against pwned passwords using anonymity, which means they're not disclosing the password, there's no privacy risk. Some password managers 
most notably one password because they did it first and I have the affinity with them, full disclosure, board of advisors. One password has an integration into plain passwords. So if you're using a password manager, such as one password, you can take your password manager, you can go into the watchtower feature and it will go and it will check every single password against Pwn passwords. If you got an email from me the other day saying you're in the NAS API data breach and your email address was in there, jump into your one password, run the passwords through, do you get a hit? You may get no hit because like me, it might be a password that you used in a life long gone before and you're fine. You may also get a hit against a service that you're currently using, now you know which one it was. If you're not using a password manager, now's the time to start. Like if you ever needed a wake up call, you're in a data breach, your password's out there in plain text, you don't know which one, go and start using the damn password manager and start with the most important things. So that's the answer to it. Now, that didn't stop some people getting very angry. <laughs> I know, right? Like on the internet. The comments did frustrate me, if I'm honest. Well, I was out playing darts with family and friends, Red Orchard goes, <laughs> playing darts, and I'm there with my phone, it's going to ding, da ding, da ding, da ding, with all these disgust messages, and I'm like, people on the internet are wrong, let me try and fix this now, which did quite annoy me. Uh, and eventually I just went, ah, do not disturb, <laughs> I'll deal with that tomorrow. Um, it, it, it frustrates me because there are solutions to this. And, and as I'd also said before the penny kind of dropped even for me that look, you can just run it through Watchtower on one password. Now, I think people said, you know, KeePass, for example, also has integrations. I don't want to make this just a sole like one password pimping session. Um, as I said even before that, if you've genuinely got unique passwords everywhere and then you're turning 2FA onto anything that supports it and is important, two caveats, you, you really don't have a problem. Some people are a bit upset about that. <laughs> and I, I like I, I get their premise. It's like I have data, I'm sitting on data that you want, that you'd like to know. But I, I hope everyone can understand that, that the challenges with making that available, for all the reasons I just described, other people said, well, why don't you just give us a link to the dump? Well, I've said many times before, I, I just do not provide. The only people I provide data to is the website that's been breached. So if someone sees me in data, let's say for Vans, <laughs> they're like, this is from Vans, I'll reach out to Vans and I'll go, apparently you've had a breach. Can I please make sure that you have the data so you can see if it's legitimate or not? So I never want to redistribute it because imagine if I pointed someone to this file and I've literally just handed over like a billion credential pairs to some rando on the internet. And even if it's not a rando on the internet, and, and even Scott, for example, will, will, will attest to this. I don't think he's ever asked, but I'm not going to send him the data either. He doesn't have anything to do with it. Like, there are occasions where I look up someone's record, which I did for verification purposes uh, during this week. Uh, and that can be useful to try and help figure out whether it's legit or not. But I'm not going to redistribute it. Uh, and people, people do get a bit shitty about that sometimes. Oh, what are the comments? Trady Tread. I'm just looking at the end of the comments. Trady Tread says, Troy has good OPSEC. Um, that may be in relation to something else. Let me go back to where I last was reading comments about here. Uh, yeah, I really, really, I'm really into that van stuff. I really want to know what's going on there. Uh, yeah, we talked about Signal. Trey Trey says, Troy's database must be huge by now. I do appreciate how you break down each breach. Yeah, so that the database is now nearly 13 million instances of an email address 
or a few that are just a phone number or username in a, in a data breach. Um, so it's nearly 13 million instances. That accounts to just under 6 million email addresses. Now, I spoke quite a bit before, before I left Australia about we're going to roll from table storage in Azure over to SQL Azure. Uh, Stefan's done a lot of work on that. Last week, we sat down together face-to-face for the first time since 2019 mm. and put the final plans in place to do that. So we're, we're probably going to try and do that rollover later this month, uh, which really means in the next couple of weeks, doesn't it? So we're going to sort of do that rollover. We're going to run in parallel both the table storage and SQL Azure. We might start sort of sampling some requests from one to the other, but we'll have them both running together because I'm, frankly, I'm, I'm scared <laughs> of, of either performance problems on the SQL side or my SQL Azure bill just going absolutely nuts. So as we roll over, we'll be able to start doing uh, much more sort of uh, ad hoc querying as well because it's a relational database. So we'll be able to say, you know, how many unique email addresses are there? We'll actually be able to normalize a lot of stuff. At the moment, we've got a combination of like email addresses in plain text in table storage. Excuse me. And we've got another one where they're all as SHA-1 hashes because the likes of Mozilla and 1Password, among others, have enterprise services where they query email addresses with K-anonymity. Uh, anyone can go do it for free with passwords. We do the same thing with some customers for email addresses. Uh, where are you to? So yeah, 35 million on the vans, which is interesting. First discovered on December 13th, gained traction today. I've, I've pretty much been on holiday since December 13th because we had some of Charlotte's Norwegian friends. We're going to be here any moment. But come to Australia, that's when we went off to Fraser Island, Gary. Uh, and just lived the life there, and then we came away. So I may have missed that, but I'm definitely, definitely going to be chasing that one up as soon as I hang up on this call. Call? No, you know what I mean. Live stream. Now, the networking guy also says, how would it look if a website was to take a user's password and submit it to have a been pwned and then alerted the user that this info is unsafe password upon account registration? Very good question. Now, I've seen just after this, Scott has chimed in and said, you know, you can see that here in Report URI, we do exactly that. Uh, networking guy says like an API to alert users if their password is in a breach. So, w- without sort of re, I was going to say without rehashing, without re, there, so rehashing things that I've already discussed about at length before, the K anonymity model we use uh, allows websites to do that without disclosing the password. Uh, Scott's doing it with Report URI. Uh, Stefan is working with me on Have I Been Pwned because he was so instrumental at being one of the first big companies to do that. He did it with CCP Games, who create EVE Online. Uh, and many, many, many other organizations now do it as well. Yeah, sorry, mate. I know it was terrible. <laughs> now, I tweeted some stats just yesterday where we are now up to, just yesterday, might have been the day before, we're up to, I think it's six and a half billion queries a month. Let me check. Was it six and a half billion? On... Uh, on poem passwords, which which I think is kind of fascinating. No, sorry, seven and a half. There you go. It was 7.48. And the highest single day we'd had was about 300 million <laughs> until yesterday. I'm going to open it up with my Cloudflare dashboard. Uh, uh, what do you mean two-factor? Why did I make this so hard? Um, log in. Dashboard is loading. Two-factor pass key. 
You can use a pass key with Cloudflare, which makes life very, very easy. Uh, so a look. Uh, Pwn passwords. I probably should have just followed up the last tweet with a new one. Our 24 hour count now is 376 million. But if I was to look at this, um, which is 20% higher than the previous high, right? Which is just stupidly nuts. If I look at the last, uh, the last 30 days, I can see for each day what the highest was. Holy cow. So we did about 425 million Pwn passwords, Canonymity API queries day before, well, it would have been yesterday. Uh, that's, wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Totally free, totally open source, both code and data. Very, very cool. Now, in answer to your, your question here, networking guy, uh, how organizations deal with this and what user experience they want to give is really up to them. So the position we've taken is we'll make the data available. So we'll make it easy to check whether a password has been in a data breach before and also how many times that password has been in a data breach. And then you get to decide what you do. And the example I often give is I said, look, you know, if let's say it's a mainstream consumer website, you've got your normal mums and dads and non-techies and so on using the service, password manager uses at an all-time low, uh, and someone uses a password that's been seen once before, you might go, ah, all right, they can use that one. Uh, if it's been seen 10,000 times before, I would argue that they shouldn't use it. And then it's up to you to define where those points are. And it's not a binary like yes or no either. You might go, what if we just suggest, hey, it looks like you're using a password that's previously been seen in data breaches of other websites, not ours. Maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe you flag the record because they're never really going to be encrypted and hopefully do something nice with it so you won't be able to check a plain text version of it later on. But you could say, look, just flag the record at risk password. It doesn't give away anything secret in case your whole database gets owned anyway. But it's enough such that when your support folks look at it later on and someone's had their account taken over, it's like, eh, wasn't a great password to begin with. So options there for that. Um, have a look at, if you Google Stefan Eve Online Pwned Passwords, you'll find more resources there as well, which is good. Uh, networking guys then said, by the way, you're always welcome to shoot me a message if you'd like some Cloudflare help. I work alongside their team. Uh, and so my setup has made its way into Cloudflare Go Manage Rules. Awesome, yeah, it's, uh, I often have questions. Uh, I also have a lot of people in Cloudflare that are very helpful too. So fortunately, uh, everyone's offering help, which is what we need for projects like this. Chris, what are your thoughts on password managers, including 1Passwords, recommending to store 2FA codes within the password manager? That is a good question. Now, I got this same question last week at NDC Security here in Oslo. And here's the way I explained it. There is a spectrum of different strengths you can apply to an account. Uh, username and passwords, your bare minimum, right? Ideally, you use a password manager so you have a strong, unique password. Ideally, you'll use a second factor slash MFA slash two-step, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that could just be an SMS weakest form of 2FA, it could be a soft token, it could be a hard token. Uh, maybe it's a security key, proper U2F key. Like your full strength end of the spectrum is, I'd have a U2F key on all of my things. That is in my bag <laughs> over there. Sometimes I'm out, I don't have access to it. Like there's a convenience factor. Well, maybe I should use a pass key. 
but a pass key is digital and it gets synced. So it's not really, is it really two-factor because it's not necessarily something you have, it's on the device which already has your password manager. And then there's the question of, well, if you are gonna use a soft token generator, should I use a Google Authenticator or an Authy and have my passwords inside one password or should I put that token in one password? And again, it depends. My view of it is that for something that is a combination of very important and isn't nagging me every single day, I like security tokens. I like a U2F key, a physical token you have to have. For something that is more demanding and regularly asks me to authenticate with my second factor, I'd like less friction. Now, less friction could be a pass key, which is, I just logged on to Cloudflare. Less friction could also be using your code generator within one password. And the example I gave the other day when someone asked me a question is Zendesk. So we use Zendesk for all of our support queries. Every single freaking day, they log you out and ask you to log back in again. And on a very regular basis, they ask you for your OTP. I want to generate that straight out of one password and into Zendesk. I don't want my Zendesk getting owned, but it is not as important as say, my Microsoft Azure account, <laughs> getting out, like that's a really, really bad day. So I'm happy to compromise a little bit and then manage my password manager well, and we're good. I think the other way of thinking about it as well is what's the risk? Well, the risk is if someone gets into your 1Password. If someone gets into your 1Password, in the whole scheme of how messed up your life is going to be, how big is that one little bit? <laughs> you know, uh, for, for me with Zendesk, it's going to be like, well, that's nowhere near as bad as like a combination of all of the documents and secrets and other usable things that I've put in there. My two cents. Uh, all right, Trady Trev. It's only getting worse. As an electrician, I always like to protect people and property. It's much different in cyberspace with security, which I'd love to change my career towards if time uh, well, with my IT service. Actually, Trady Trev, being a Sparky in Australia, I'd love your comments on this. The number of times I say to people, such as Scott Helm, I can't go and install Shelly's in my own house. I can't take a light switch off and start twiggling the wires uh, after turning off circuits and things. I need a licensed electrician. And they're like, why? What's the problem? So Trady Trev, if you have a good answer for Scott and the other people wondering why we in Australia can't do anything beyond changing a light bulb, <laughs> please drop a comment because you're the expert, mate. Neil, any recommendations on which YubiKey you would get or a different U2F key? Shut up, Scott. <laughs> Let Trady Trev have his piece. Uh, in, in terms of which YubiKey or U2F key, look, at, I, I'm not the expert on that, but what I will say is that there are definitely different devices which need different types of keys. So what, what I end up doing is I got USB-A U2F keys and I got USB-C U2F keys. Uh, and the reason I did that is so that, uh, and, and they're both NFC, so I could use NFC on my iPhone. Now, of course, the iPhone has a USB-C port, so I can chuck that into the bottom. iPad has USB-C, so I can put that in there. My laptop and my PC have both USB-C and USB-A, but I always enroll two keys. I travel with one key, I keep the other key at home, and I have two different USB types. So I figure that's about as, as flexible as I can be. I always travel with the USB-C one as well. So the USB-A one stays at home. So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, now, 
speaking about DIYing things. The only reason I put this in here is I saw it, I thought it was funny, and then I thought it was even funnier <laughs> when I saw the replies of people, replies from people. So we went out to a, uh, a Japanese restaurant last night, which was epic, by the way. Epic, epic. And you know how it is, you go to a restaurant and there's a sign that says, you know, please wait here to be seated. We go up there and they got a computer uh, on the desk when you first walk in. And I'm always curious when there's a screen open. There's obviously some sort of booking system. I cropped the image I put in the tweet. But what got me is it's a laptop that's open and where the hinge is, someone has drilled a Phillips head screwdriver through the hinge into the table. And I was like, is that for real or is it just sitting there? And I went over and I wiggled it a bit and it's like, holy shit, like they've literally screwed the laptop to the table through the hinge. Now I took a photo of just the corner. There's another one at the other end. Now, this is also quite ironic because you can see on the side of it, there is a Kensington lock keeping the laptop locked to the table. So why you need two screws literally drilled through the material of the frickin' laptop and a Kensington lock, I do not know. I thought it was amusing. So I tweeted it. Quote, people keep stealing the restaurant MacBook. Quote, let's just screw the bastard to the table. Which I thought was funny. Now, I assumed it was a MacBook because it was silver and had curves on it. I had had a couple of beers beforehand. We were at a restaurant. <laughs> I didn't pay any more attention. But in the most, like, Twitter of Twitter <laughs> kind of responses, the number of people who came back critical of the fact that it was actually a Chromebook and not a MacBook, as though somehow that is the takeaway from this whole story, I find fascinating. <laughs> That's not the, it's not the point. What are you doing? Anyway, go and have a look at my tweet feed. This was only from about 24 hours ago. I thought it was funny. Uh, now, Trady Trev. It's only getting worse. Um, as an electrician, I always like to protect people. Oh, no, no, okay, that was the other one. Then I went down. Scott was being derogatory about plugs and things. And uh, Trady Trev says, I've seen heaps of dodgy DIY electrics. That's why I say it. Uh, Scott, yeah, I bet people can make a real mess of it. Trady Trev ruffle. I don't know that we really got to the point of how badly can you screw stuff up? The, the, and maybe it's fear-mongering between Scott and Trady Trev. You guys can work it out later on. But the messaging that we always get is um, uh, you're going to burn your house down. <laughs> you know, like, don't DIY your electrics. You're going to burn your house down. And I don't want that to happen. Uh, plus, I'm not sure exactly where we stand on insurance and all that sort of thing, if there is a problem of any kind. So anyway, I tend to have a, a lot of work to do around the house for Sparkies anyway, and I just... You know, like buffer a whole bunch of stuff and then do it all. Timok1997 says, 1977 says, is two U2F keys enough? If you lose or break one, then you've only got one. Fingers crossed that backup can be found and works. Shouldn't three keys be the minimum? But why not four or five? You can enroll as many as you want. Uh, I think that there is a, a practical amount for which will be sufficient with good management practices. Uh, my good management practices are keeping one in a reliable, easily accessible, pretty safe location at home and keeping one always in the same place uh, in a very reliably, easily accessible location in my travel kit. Keep in mind, if, if you do lose both, 
how you recover your account will depend on the service. Now, Scott and I have had this discussion many times with Report URI. And Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the conclusion with Report URI is if you lose your second factor and you cannot get back in, we'll nuke your data and then you can access the account. Yeah, so long as there's a, whatever sufficient confidence there is that it's actually the legitimate owner. So it's not like you're screwed for life and never get your account back. I know with the likes of Dropbox, if you lose your second factor, there are processes to get you back in there, but you need to go through a whole bunch of hoops and so on. I would imagine, let's say for argument's sake, it's GitHub. Uh, I would certainly have lots of ways of demonstrating to GitHub that I am the legitimate owner uh, of the account. I don't want to find out if I lose all my keys, but I hope that I'd be able to get that back or Cloudflare back or Microsoft Azure account back or whatever else. Uh, so there should be a fallback pattern, but good management of the two keys means that you shouldn't need that. But worst case, you should be able to get it back in here. Okay, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there. So the last one from Europe. Uh, next week, I'll be, I'll be home. Hopefully, my aircon will be working again. Uh, be back to the office. Be back to nice video and sound and all the rest of it. Uh, <laughs> Rohit Singh, uh, Scott, a uh, cybersecurity expert. I'm a newbie. Uh, <laughs> I won't do the sticker, Scott. Google him. Google him. And you'll find out. T1977, how common is it for governments to be offensive against scammers and hackers? Uh, is it fool's errand for governments to be strictly defensive? So a lot of debate about that. Have a good listen to the Risky Business podcast. There's been a lot more discussion recently around, as they refer to it, releasing the hounds, uh, which certainly our government and other governments have been indicating more and more against ransomware crews. Um, you know, when you've got hackers taking down hospitals and cancer treatment places and then ransoming the data of individuals, I would argue that is a different kettle of fish to the messages I keep getting every night about there's a package that's gone missing and I need to give them my details. Okay, folks, have fun. Thank you very much for watching. See you from Australia next week.